This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows that the greatest battle of life can sometimes be on the four-inch playing field between your ears. Here is the captain. My head is so big, I believe it's a five-inch playing field. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are featuring Pulp Friction by the Microbrewery out of Bradenton, Florida. That's called Motorworks Brewing. This is a refreshing IPA with massive, freshly squeezed grapefruit aromas. There are huge citrus flavors that balance out the bitterness and the pine malt backbone. The juicy flavor featured in Pulp Friction will delight IPA lovers and non-IPA drinkers as well. Garage grade three and three-quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's some high fives to our friends that filled up the fridge for us this week. First up, a big cheers to Gustav Barreras in Parts Unknown. And a big we like your jib to Jason in Atlanta, Georgia. And here we go to one of my favorite cities in the entire world to give a cheers to Haley in Dallas, Texas. Everybody we just mentioned, they went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that... We thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check us out on Stitcher, our show called Off the Record. It is for the nasty people across the world. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
in Lee County, Florida, at the start of the new year. The local papers were releasing a special report about murders in the area from the previous year, 1995. The title of the article, Murderers Mainly Strangers, and it says Lee County sees 23 people slain in 1995. The article I'm referencing was in the January 2nd Fort Myers News Press. Throughout the article, the newspaper will cite statistics sourced from the FBI, Lee County Sheriff's Office, Fort Myers Police, and Cape Coral PD. One such statistic cited states that nationally, in 1995, about 8 to 10 people were murdered for every 100,000 people. Lee County's population in 95 was about 377,000 people. Lee County saw 23 murders in 1995, which put them well below the national average. The article reads in part, To be a victim of murder in Lee County last year was in many cases to fall prey to someone who had set out to commit a robbery, burglary, or some other crime. Of the 23 people who died at the hands of others, at least 10 were killed by thieves or drug dealers who stepped over a deadly line. Nationally, only about 17% of murders are committed during other felonies. In Lee County, while the number of murders fell well below the national average, they were well above the stranger-on-stranger murder rate where someone committing some other type of felony offense kills a stranger in the process. For instance, a young man lost his life trying to fend off a robber who broke into his duplex. The renter was stabbed to death with a kitchen knife. The man who broke into the home killed the young man and made off with his television, later trading the TV for $20 worth of crack cocaine. But more traditionally, murder is a crime of passion, committed by a jealous lover or angry friend. That close connection between victim and attacker makes murder one of the simpler crimes to solve and one of the least preventable. Some of the homicides in Lee County in 1995 did not fit that mold. Some law enforcement officials were saying, quote, each year, we get further and further away from the old homicide adage where it used to be the nearest and dearest, said Lieutenant Jeff Taylor, commander of the Lee County Sheriff's Office Major Crimes Unit. But homicides like that of the break-in, the kitchen knife murder, reflected a national trend that began about three years prior to 1995. And officials were saying that the relationship between victim and killer we're starting to become more anonymous. Nationwide, 23,305 people were murdered in 1994. Among the killings in which the victim-killer relationship was reported, 53% of the murderers were strangers or the police had not proven a link to the victim. According to Alfred Bloomstein, a professor at the Heinz School of Public Policy and Management at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, he says that is due to the growing rate of homicides committed by young people 
who are more likely to kill someone they didn't know. These statements are true based on the numbers and statistics listed throughout the article. Lee County was smart. While the murder rate there was low, they still did not lose sight of the fact that the killer and victim relationship was changing nationally and changing even more so per capita in Lee County. Good on them to keep an eye on crime statistics and trends in the jurisdiction that they are sworn to protect and serve. It may or may not come as a surprise to you, but not all law enforcement agencies care this much about crime statistics. In fact, I'm sure that several may just chalk it up to a bad year or bad luck, not taking the time to examine the situation and better understand the situation. One must first identify the problem and understand it before you can come up with a solution. The article we cited came out on January 2nd, 1996. And what the sheriff's office did not know is that murder trend would continue not just for Lee County, but some of the surrounding counties as well. And it would not be the youths of the area that they would need to be so concerned about. Because in the counties of Lee, Charlotte, and Sarasota, Florida, someone was picking up strangers, torturing and killing them, and leaving their mutilated bodies in the woods. This is True Crime Garage, and this is The Hog Trail Murders. One day before that newspaper article ran, a very strange and unusual incident was reported in Northport. Northport is actually in Sarasota County, Florida. This week, we will be talking a lot about three different counties, all in the southwest district of Florida. Those three counties going from north to south are Sarasota County, Charlotte, and Lee County. On New Year's Day, a nice family in Northport were horrified when their dog trotted up the lawn to their house with a human skull in the dog's mouth. This is a much more quiet neighborhood. This is not a high crime area or really even a high traffic area at all. The dog regularly went into the woods back behind the family's backyard. Of course, this is nothing that anyone would even expect that their dog would find and find so near to their home, I might add, and then bring it to the family's backyard. This is a complete shock and a very disturbing surprise to this good family. So they phone it into police. The police come out to take a look, see what's going on, take a report, the usual police business. But put on your boots, fellas, and bring a forensic team with you because it looks like you're going to be body hunting in the woods today. Oh, goody. Now, almost as unnerving as the dog with the skull incident the family tells police that that same dog had been bringing bones to the family for about a month now, but they thought that these bones had come from some kind of dead animal or dead animals in the area. That makes sense. Detectives scour the area. Now, we don't get a lot of information about the discovery that day, 
But here are what little details that are revealed by law enforcement. At the scene, police do not find any items, personal or otherwise, that would help to identify who it was in the woods. In fact, they do not find any clothing either. However, police eventually pieced together much of a skeleton, a skeleton belonging to one individual. Later, it was determined that the body was that of a male, and because of how and where the remains were found, they were going to work this as a homicide unless they found evidence to suggest that it was not a homicide. Right. So now we have a John Doe homicide, or at least a suspicious death of a John Doe with an investigation to follow. Now, this is interesting because about two years earlier, one county over in the Port Charlotte area, just on the other side of the county line, on February 1st, 1994, a mutilated corpse was discovered. This is when a construction worker stumbled upon a partially decomposed body of a male who was naked and lying on his back. Unfortunately, there was not much at the scene to help police with an identification in that case either. Do we know if the body was mutilated before it was buried or was it mutilated afterwards, possibly by animals? From my understanding in these two situations, we don't have a burial at all. From my understanding, both are thought to have just been lying on the ground, the victim that is. Right. And of course, with the dog situation, we know that we do have the animals scattering the bones. But with this February 1st, 1994 case, I don't know so much about the the activity, the animal activity that, that came with that one. We do know that this corpse was mutilated. And it was found not buried. It was a male victim found naked lying on his back by this construction worker. You have one body that's found by the dog. The dog brings the skeleton back to its owners, and that's in 1996. And then a county away, they find this other unburied but mutilated body in 1994. Yes, and I know we said one county over, but this is really just a matter of a handful of miles away. It's not really a great distance at all. Right. And this 1994 John Doe and this 96 John Doe, this is all a very similar situation, minus the dog, however. Now, at the scene of the 94 case, police do not find any personal items that would identify who it was that they found in the woods. They do not find any clothing either, just like in the 96 case. They do conclude a few pieces of information, though. One, the body had been outside for about a month. Two, they find rope burns on the skin. And three, the genitalia had been removed and discarded. So the victim was tortured. The unidentified male victim was tortured and killed, likely right where he was found, where he was later found. Yeah, disgusting. Now, because this victim was found first, he is later referred to as John Doe number one. The victim found almost two years later becomes John Doe number two. But keep in mind at this time, we don't know that they, that these cases are in fact related. Okay. So to recap here before we move on, because 
this could get a little confusing. We have an unidentified male victim found February 1st, 1994, and then another unidentified male victim found a few miles away, almost two years later on January 1st, 1996. Also, we can deduce from the family story of the dog bringing bones for almost daily for up to a month that at the very least, our John Doe number two was likely dead for a month, if not two, prior to the report that was given once the skull was brought to the family on New Year's Day, 1996. When I believe both bodies were pretty badly decomposed. That's right. And I've heard one expert say that in Florida, based off of the humidity, the rate of decomposition is increased. And therefore, you could put somebody in the woods, put a body in the woods, and then later, within a matter of weeks, you could have a skeleton, if not a month. So it, the the rate is certainly enhanced and increased in this area. We're heading to Florida. Police much later will say that in all likelihood, these homicides are connected. So we have John Doe 1 and John Doe number 2. Again, to be perfectly clear, in all reality... We actually sit here 20 years, well, over 20 years later, and we cannot say with 100% certainty that these two cases are directly related. But like the late, great Bruce Lee said, be as water, my friend. So we shall stay water, live in the moment as we go through this timeline. After all, this is a very fluid situation. Don't know if that's what Bruce Lee meant by that. So we will take it one case at a time, but unfortunately that also means one body at a time because two months after the discovery of John Doe number two, a third man's mutilated body was discovered in Northport on March 7th, 1996. In this case, police through their forensics analysis and autopsy information, they determined that this unidentified male victim was murdered but he had been killed only 10 days earlier, so only approximately 10 days before the discovery of the body. The male victim would quickly have to assume the name of John Doe number three. Now, pardon the expression, but because this body was quite a bit more fresh than the other two, that old saying, dead men tell no tales, well, bullshit. Hey, now. While they may not be able to reveal all secrets, the body of John Doe number three told a tale of a truly and deeply disturbing death. There were ligature marks on both the chest and legs of John Doe number three's body. Yeah, meaning that the victim was bound. The victim's genitals had been amputated. Several sources have stated this is believed to have occurred after death. Now, of course, the detectives, noting the similarities that they are seeing at the crime scenes and on the victims as well. One detail they noticed at the John Doe number three crime scene was ligature marks on a tree near the body. One glaring difference that they noticed with John Doe number three were cuts on the bottoms of his feet. This suggests that the victim had likely ran through the forest sans shoes. Detectives had to wonder why and who was chasing this man through the woods. Did this man almost get away? And what kind of killer would be out there so ruthlessly and determinedly pursuing the victim? 
and it makes you question, was the victim bound before they were taken out to the woods or were they bound after they were caught? Did they play a game of cat and mouse? Right. You can almost see this playing out like some kind of horror flick, right? With yeah. the, the killer chasing down the victim at night in these woods and then mutilating the body in that despicable manner before he himself flees the area. Now let's back up just a little bit here, Captain. At the John Doe number three crime scene, detectives took special interest in those ligature marks found on the tree that we briefly discussed. Well, and here's why. So after making that discovery, they decide to go back to the other two crime scenes. And when returning to the crime scene of John Doe number one, detectives discovered similar damage to a tree near where the body had been found over two years prior. Yeah, you got to applaud law enforcement and detectives on this one. This was a very smart idea. Then detectives took another trip, this time out to the donut shop, this time out to reexamine the area where John Doe number two was found. Right there. They observed comparable marks on a tree near the spot where the body was found. Because of the very specific mutilation done to at least two of the victims, possibly all three, again, we don't have a lot of information in some of these, and as the captain pointed out, we have a great deal of decomposition that's taken place. But this specific type of mutilation, we should note, this would be a signature. This will indicate to a seasoned and experienced detective that they are very likely looking for one killer in all three cases, or at least the same set of killers. Well, similar dumping grounds, but like you said, they're miles away. But these, this is a signature. Now, if you have a body that's not fully decomposed, then you can see the bound marks. Obviously, a body that's very badly decomposed, you can't. But sometimes there is evidence uh, when they do the autopsy that they can see that the, the victim was bound even if there's no skin left on that victim. Well, and more so you have the mutilation of the body itself with the amputation of the genitals. So a signature found at a crime scene, a murder scene, is an act that is not required in order to commit the crime. Rather, it serves the emotional or psychological needs of the offender. Right. The signature comes from within the psyche of the offender, and it reflects a deep fantasy need that the killer has about his victims. Well, and I'm sure they did some tests because obviously these victims are found in these wooded areas and they're, they're susceptible to having animals come upon them. But there's a big difference between between a body being mutilated by animals and a body being mutilated by a killer. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. 
Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem. 
and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back, you hosers. Cheers, Captain. Cheers. So the local authorities in Charlotte County and Sarasota County are armed and equipped with a good deal of information, at least enough at this point, that they believe that they are not harbored or hindered by linkage blindness. They are seeing and finding details telling them that they are most likely looking for a serial offender or serial killer. But one very troubling fact of their case and investigation at this time was they were still unable to identify any of these victims. They did not know who these victims were and therefore how these victims could be possibly related. How did they all end up where they did and how did each one of them cross paths with the killer? And of course it's homicide investigation 101. All of our listeners know this, but you start with the victim you start with their inner circle and you fan out from there on your investigation. The problem here, you don't know who the victim is, not in just one case, but all three cases. Well, when you go back to the signatures, obviously the victim's being bound, but I think the the big red flag to connect these is is the markings on on the tree. Yes. And and of course, you know, we we should continue to go back to that actual mutilation as well. That's not something that's right, right. common I'm, in any homicide. I've been trying to forget about that mutilation. Right. You're right. We, I probably should have wiped it from my mind as well. I will do the best that I can to achieve that after today's show. Well, good luck. Now, what's interesting to me here, Captain, though, is hmm. the investigators seem to be hip to the idea that these cases could all be related but the public was not blind to this either. There was now talk and rumors of a local serial killer being on the hunt in the area. This talk was being bandied about at this time in our timeline. So while the police were still trying to identify and sort out just who each one of these one, two, three John Doe's were, well, then just one month and 10 days later, the following happened. This would be another disturbing find that occurred in a wooded, isolated area, this in Charlotte County, Florida. The following takes place on April 17, 1996. This is when two storm utility engineers, Thomas Reese and Michael Tisch, are out working in a heavy, wooded, and secluded area off of Highway 41. In fact, this is very, very close to where the body of John Doe 
was found. I'm sorry, John Doe number one was found. Like you said, this is in the area of John Doe number one. If I'm law enforcement and if I'm the detective and I get my detective voice on, I'm going to be running cadaver dogs all through this area. But the problem is this victim wasn't dead yet. Yes. So this victim is discovered. We have these two workers that discovered a human skull in the woods on April 17th, 1996. Of course, they called the Charlotte County Police Department. Patrolmen, detectives, and the forensic team arrive on the scene. They secure the location and they start working. Now, they are looking for your typical items, right? Clothing, weapons, or anything else that would help them to identify the victim or would help them in their case, their investigation. They find a single pink fiber on a tree near where the skull was found. Then just a few feet from the skull, they find a decomposed torso and part of a pelvis. The body had been dismembered and was listed as John Doe number four. But unfortunately, that's not it. A further combing of the area provided a severely haunting spectacle. This is when one of the detectives spotted a still hand sticking up amongst the grass and the debris of the woods. This hand belonged to another body. The body hand attached was found wrapped up in a carpet padding lying at the foot of a tree. The victim found in the carpet will be John Doe number five. I mean, this is a, a, a vicious level of killer. It seems as if he's there's evidence that he's chasing his victims. There's evidence that he's bounding his victims up and torturing them and then dismembering them, and then mutilating parts of their body. I mean, this this is a psycho. Yeah, this is about as, as weird and evil as it gets. You know, if one were to create a scale of such horrific things. But we're talking about a situation where you can look at this and view this and, and view what's happened to these, unfortunately, what's happened to these people, either, you know, pre- or post-mortem, regardless what we have here is a situation where the killer is spending a good deal of time with the victims. This is not something where he abducts somebody or uses some type of ruse and 45 minutes later they're dead and he's gone hitting the highway. Right. This is all things that are going to take a good amount of time, all of these really disgusting and horrific activities that are taking place. And we have no clue how long he has them at a different location, whether that location is a house or a workshop somewhere, or even just in a, in a van. Right. We're talking, it could be as short as minutes. It could be days. And again, the, the problem really goes back to the core of your investigation at this time is that you don't know who any of these victims are. Yeah. So you can't determine the the length of time that they spent captive or under the control of the killer. It's all it's just all complete speculation with no basis at this point until you can identify any of these victims. Now, they see this hand, the body still attached, wrapped up in carpet padding lying near the foot of the tree. They would, of course, label this victim as John Doe number five. 
we don't know at this point in their investigation. They have these suspicions based off of what they're seeing. We review this and we have it's it seems very clear and cut and dried for us, right? That it's John Doe one through five. Well, at the time they're likely just finding another John Doe and maybe for clarification purposes later applying numbers to them based off of when they were found. Well, every time you say cut and dry, I keep grabbing my twig and berries. The state of this body of John Doe number five was very much like the previous four. It was devastating, of course. The victim in this case was naked, lying on his back with signs of ligature marks around his neck, chest, and legs, and his genitals too had been removed. The detectives found rope marks on a tree near the body. So this is all lining up with what they found at the other scenes. So this find was about 50 yards from where the John Doe number four skull and body were found. So not a very far distance from the fourth victim. This fifth victim, and I apologize, there's no nice way of saying a lot of these things. This fifth victim had a head and had likely been killed based off of what they're seeing at the crime scene in the state of the body had likely been killed within a few days prior to the grim discovery. Maybe even less time had gone by than that. Right. And like you said, because of the Florida heat and the humidity, they're going to be able to, you know, deduce a time frame. They also find a tiny paint chip that was found on the body and rope fibers were found on the ground and a tree. This information quickly hits the streets and the news. So where there was once talk and rumors of an active serial killer in the area, these were sort of whispers from the bushes at that time. Now, with this new news, two more bodies being found, two more male victims, both unidentified, still even after police were done searching the area where the bodies were located. Now, Captain, speculation became rampant about a serial killer and how quickly the media dubbed the murders, the hog trail killings. So we have five victims, five John Doe's and obviously based off science, we're trying to identify these individuals, but there's no wallet found, but we do have, we have this carpet padding found. We have some rope and we said we have some paint chips kind of makes you think that we should be looking for somebody maybe in the construction field. Yeah. The uh, media as said quickly dubbed the murders, the hog trail killings named. So for the wooded areas in which the bodies of the victims were found, at least one source that I found captain said that this general area was a popular spot where people would discard pig and hog carcasses which I'm not sure how right that sounds. I was unaware that there was such a need for the discarding of pig and hog carcasses that there would be, quote, a place popular for this sort of activity or that there would even be one place more popular than another for that sort of activity. I also read that this area was an area where one would expect to see quite a bit of wildlife activity, likely an abundance of wild hogs. So... That seems to reason that might make a little more sense why we're calling it the hog trail murders. Well, also, it could be that they were hogtied. Now, we will get back to the news covered of these last two bodies that were found here in a minute. 
But I do have some brief but intriguing information that was discovered during the autopsy process, so I'd like to get to all of that first. Well, make it fast. The autopsy from the male victim found in the carpet was determined to be that of a white male victim in his 20s. They found that he was strangled to death with rope. They found several ligature marks on the body that included two ligature marks on the front of his neck, two horizontal marks on the right side of his chest, abraded grooves around his wrist. The victim's genitals had been removed with a very sharp knife or scalpel. Now, all of the ligature marks and abraded grooves were of similar width, but these marks didn't extend to the victim's back. This was telling. The marks were found on the body and equally as important were where they were not found on the body. This was consistent with marks that would be left on an individual that had been tied to a tree. They figured the man had been dead for a little more than 24 hours before being found. They will be able to fingerprint this victim because he's not been there very long. They fingerprinted the victim and ran the prints through the system. It was then discovered this victim, who was dubbed John Doe number 5, was rather quickly and positively ID'd as 21-year-old Richard Montgomery. So we have one identification of five victims. This young Richard Montgomery had been arrested at one point in his life, and when he was arrested, they took his fingerprints, and thus he was in the system and now identified as a murder victim in a seemingly string of possibly connected murders. And you're saying, based off of these marks on his body, this would indicate that he was tied to a tree. Correct. If you if you think about where I said all of the marks were on the body, right? they're all on the front of the body. None of them are on the back. And then we also have similar markings that are found on nearby trees. So you put two and two together, and it would appear that not only were the victim tied to this tree, but he would be tied facing out. His back is up against the the trunk of the tree. Right. So unfortunately, two more bodies found is bringing us to five possibly connected victims. But the big break here is at least we have identified one of them. Yeah, I'm guessing at this point, law enforcement is leaning heavily towards the idea that these John Doe's are connected and that these murders are connected and possibly done by one individual. So one male victim found in February of 1994, one male victim recovered in January of 96 in March, another male victim recovered. And then in April again of 1996, two more male victims found. So five victims in total found in three different locations in four separate discoveries. John Doe's one through four unidentified. John Doe number five identified as 21-year-old Richard Montgomery. And we've unfortunately have covered other cases where there's dumping grounds like Gilgo Beach and West Mesa Body Pit. But normally when they found one victim, they're finding the other victims, you know, back to back. But this is almost even scarier because they're finding a victim later, they're finding another victim, and then they're finding victims that are only been deceased a couple weeks or maybe less than a week. Yeah, we've we've reviewed some cases where 
a body is found and then months or even a year or so later, they return to the scene because they're kind of, they're sitting there with an unsolved case and they want to go back to square one. They go back to square one, they find another body. And in those cases, it's, (laughs) it's quite alarming and really disturbing that you learn that, oh, that body had been there the whole time. It, you know, when they found the first victim, right. this body was already there. Here in this situation, it's much different. John Doe was found in in an area very near John Doe's number four and five, or number five, who is later identified as Richard Montgomery. But John Doe number four and Richard Montgomery, they were able to determine they were not dead at the time that they found John Doe number one. Right, but think about that. So this killer has to know that law enforcement is finding these bodies or we should assume that they might know and they don't really change their strategy they don't change their killing fields they don't change their dumping grounds yes like you said there's multiple locations but they're not that far apart it's a you know if you drew a circle around all the three locations it's a what 10 mile radius maybe um, it's, it's difficult to say. I'm looking at it here on the map. The, um, John Doe number two was found considerably closer to John Doe's one, four, and five, uh, one, four, and five. Again, they were all like kind of within walking distance, but that's what I'm saying. One it's another, like, but yeah, you're this right. This guy it's, is, he is tying his victims up to trees. He is cutting off their genitals. He is torturing them. He's chasing them. He's, you know, mutilating the bodies, probably post-mortem also, and he's going, hey, I like this area. This is my spot, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, and uh, good luck trying to catch me. Well, yeah, and it makes you wonder not only to this psychology of the killer, but also what has happened throughout the course of this case, right? You've, you've only identified one of the five. Right. Doesn't that make you worry that, oh, John Doe number one may have been there for consider even even longer than we had originally anticipated, and the killer was happy to place another body there because John Doe number one went undiscovered for so long? Well, no, you also I would be doing searches on trees because let's say we found 10 trees that had these similar markings. Well, there might be five other victims that we haven't found that maybe were buried deeper or weren't buried at all. And they were completely dis, um, uh, they were completely dismembered, uh, by animals and de- and decomposed completely where we'll never find them, but maybe we'd find evidence uh, of these tree markings on other trees. So as said, police get their first big break. This is with the identification of John Doe number five, as being that of 21-year-old Richard Montgomery. And as we said, identifying him was easy due to the fingerprints. The dismembered body found near victim Richard Montgomery, which it was determined had been there for several weeks, might prove to be a little more difficult, but not as difficult as the first three John Doe's. This is because of an identifier found on John Doe number four's body. Detectives found a tattoo on the shoulder of this victim and hoped that this would help to identify this person. So on the nightly news, they tell the public 
what they had discovered on those hog trails. They showed a picture of what I was hoping to find a, a description of this tattoo and could not, but they showed a picture of what they were calling a unique tattoo on the nightly news in hopes that someone could identify this person. Well, they get their second break here because after showing this picture on the nightly news, a woman called in and said, my brother, 25 year old Kenny Smith had that same tattoo on his shoulder. So based off of this information and some information that they collect from the Smith family and with the help of dental records, they would later confirm that it was him. John Doe number four was Kenneth L. Smith, age 25, from nearby Naples, Florida. And we've covered so many cases. I mean, this is what? Episode number 600? Oh. Slipped past the goalie. I boom didn't even make the... Oh. Uh, only, what an accomplishment. We should have celebrated better. Only two more episodes to go, and then I quit. Right. Uh, I told you from the beginning. Don't worry, America. I'll do the last nine by myself. <laughs> no, so, but I, we've covered so many cases, but it's hard to get over how sick this individual is. Mm-hmm. And, I, uh, and brazen. It's almost like I am going to torture. I'm going to kill these people. And by the way, you can't stop me. And... I'm going to keep coming back to this area. It seems as if these, this is not just the killing fields or Gilgo beach. This is just not dumping grounds. This is also his torture chamber. Well, and I want to, let's hit on something right here so we can move past it going forward. Right. Because it would be silly to sit here and constantly say possibly related victims, possibly related crimes. As you pointed out, Captain, law enforcement in this area are actively treating this as these crimes are, in fact, connected. Again, to be fair, we cannot sit here even 20 years later and say with 100% certainty that they are, but let's go off of law enforcement's assessment of these crimes. They're working it as it's all connected, so we're going to treat it the same. And you're right, you're really hitting in on something here that I think is kind of lost in this overall story. It gets it, it gets lost in the shuffle here. You either have two very extremely scary situations. One, if they're not connected, then you have two individuals in your area doing very similar horrific crimes that involve mutilation and torture and killing people and leaving them in the woods. That's terrifying, right? Wow. Forget about one person doing it. If you had two or more, horrific. But however, it is Florida. <laughs> however, going off of what law enforcement's assessment is, that these are in fact connected and they're working it as such, you can still sit here and go, my God, how scary is this where you have one individual doing this and as you point out, so brazen that, oh, you found one of my bodies, you found two or three of my victims. Here's another one. Not terribly far from where I left the first one. Right. Here, oh, here's another one. Here's here's an individual that cannot stop doing this. Even now that the threat of getting caught, the risk level for his activities has increased significantly with the finding of the first, second, and third body. He is still active. 
still hunting prey in this area. Now, without getting too far into the psychology of this particular killer, now we've said it before, and we'll say it again in the captain's last two episodes in my last 11, that on these cases, especially the serial offender cases, you can build a profile of your killer or killers, but you don't just profile the offender. No, in this case, you're going to profile the offender, the victims, the locations, and the situation. And good old-fashioned detective work and your profile are going to tell you, we got someone hunting in this area, preying on vulnerable men that are either transient or homeless. This is based off of the identification of two of your victims. Right. The perpetrator was torturing and killing his victims after tying them to trees in out-of-the-way wooded areas. He mutilates and leaves the victims where they are killed, and then they go undiscovered for some time. The bodies that are found relatively quick show a great deal of trauma and degradation done to the body. Florida authorities were looking for one sick bastard. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thank you. I want to hug you and kiss you and hug you and kiss you some more for sharing our show with your friends and your family on social media. It means a lot. We get a lot of new listeners by doing that. Keeps the lights on in the garage. Join us back here tomorrow. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't let The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.